welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Bible Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Pastor Levi Secord, and I'd like to thank you for listening. Christ Bible Church exists to bring all of Christ into all of life, and in doing so, we glorify God. This podcast series is not meant to be a replacement for the local church. It is not meant to replace your regular gathering with Christ's people across Christ's earth. And so we encourage you to use these sermons to bring glory to God, to bring all of Christ into all of life, and to strengthen and encourage one another in his name. With all of that in mind, let us turn our hearts and our minds now to the preaching of God's word, and in it may we see and glorify and emulate our Savior. We are now in our third week in the book of Proverbs, so I think it's a good time to kind of review uh, what we're talking about here so we're all on the same page because when we speak about things like pursuing happiness this is fraught with ways you could take this entirely wrong wisdom as we saw in week one is the art of skillful godly living what it means to live a godly and a good life that means wisdom is inseparable from godliness from christ-likeness it is a moral category and in in that it is it is part of how god intends to restore us to who we were supposed to be at creation. Wisdom begins with fearing the Lord and hating evil. This means that wisdom does not come from within. It is not primarily found by following your own truth or your own heart. It is found by bending the knee to God. Wisdom requires, as we saw last week, a discernment. That there are competing voices out there. There always have been and there always will be. That will tell you this is how you get to the good life. And wisdom is able to uh, practice discernment in that it doesn't believe everything. And I belabored that point last week, that we are not to be passive in our intake of information, our intake of entertainment, or of media, that we are to be active in considering and weighing all things that we take in. God cares about us, and part of His care for us is an instruction to live wisely. God has devoted the entire book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, and certain Psalms to teach you and me how to live wisely. He cares about it. Moreover, we are told that wisdom is stored for us in the person of Christ, that it comes from Him. He is the embodiment of wisdom. And so this series is meant to be a guide for the foundation of living a godly life, living a Christian life. A wise life does not mean you will never suffer. A wise life does not mean everything will go exactly how you want. A wise life does not mean that you will be rich, you will be healthy, and you will be popular. There's nothing wrong with all of those things, but that is not what Solomon or God is offering to you here today. You still live in the fallen world. Sin still exists. There is still a cosmic war between good and evil, which means... If you are a really righteous person like Job was, Satan might just target you and your life will get more difficult in the short term. And so as we look at wisdom, I do not want you to equate it with being a millionaire or popular or healthy or always being a happy person. Such people don't really exist. Faith will, in this life, sometimes bring you suffering. But foolishness will also bring you suffering. And worse than that, the judgment of God in eternal damnation. So today we are going to look at how to live a happy life. 
And we all want to have a happy life. It drives just about every choice you make. I mean, who makes a choice thinking that this is going to make me miserable? I'm going to do this because it's going to make my life a mess. We may, for example, do things that we don't like because we think there'll be a payoff on the other side. I don't like to run. I go for runs with our kids. Why? Because I like the benefits of running, but I don't like running. But I'm still choosing something that I think will make me happy in the trade-off. I don't have to convince anyone to pursue happiness. It's kind of wired into who we are. We do things because we believe they will make us happy. We appear, though, to be in a happiness crisis. If you paid attention at all to the national dialogue these last several years, it keeps coming up that we have um, record deaths of despair, record levels of anxiety, record levels of depression. Why is that so? To build off what we talked about last week, this appears to be especially true for women in our culture. Let, Let that sink in. This seems to be especially true for women in our culture. They have been lied to. Men have been lied to as well. But women in particular have had some nasty lies targeted at them culturally. And the assault of our women is in particularly damning and damaging. But since the dominance of feminism in our culture, the happiness of American women has been in a steady and precipitous decline. So you can, you can go to pre-feminism being the dominant view in our culture. Women were generally happy in our culture. Since then, it's been like this. Straight down. And part of this is, American women are sold that if you get these things, you will be happy. They are getting these things, and they aren't happy. Like, think about that, just for a moment. Many voices out there will say, this is the thing you need in life. And it will make you happy. And it's everything from a philosophy of life to what bar of soap you buy and use, that this will make you happy. And we think, well, that's stupid. Well, it is, but people still buy the bar of soap, thinking it will improve their life. The paths toward happiness are promoted and sold to us often don't work. For example, the famous actor and comedian Jim Carrey said this, He thinks, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can realize that it's not the answer. His words, not mine. Or take these words from uh, Deion Sanders. If you don't know who he is, he's a Super Bowl winning cornerback in the NFL. Widely considered the best cornerback to ever play the game. This is what he says of his life in the NFL. He said, everything I touched turned to gold, but inside I was broken and totally defeated. I remember sitting at the back of the practice field one afternoon away from everybody and tears were running down my face. I was saying to myself, this is so meaningless. I'm so unhappy. We're winning every week and I'm playing great, but I'm not happy. I tried everything. Parties, women, buying expensive jewelry and gadgets, and nothing helped. There was no peace. I could multiply the testimonies of this again and again and again of famous and rich individuals. Maybe the things we're being told that this will make you feel happy don't actually work. Longing for and pursuing happy, happiness is part of the universal human condition. But here's the irony. The more we search for it, the harder it seems to be for us to find it. The more we, we try to grab onto it, the more it slips through our fingers. 
I saw this summer, and I, I almost enrolled in this, but Harvard was a- offering a free online, online course for anyone who wants to take it in happiness. Harvard said, here you go. You can take this course, and we will teach you uh, how to be happy. And if you pay a fee, you can also get a certificate. You can get your, ha- your happiness certificate. It might be useful as a, as a coaster. And I'm like, I'm going to take this course just for the sermon. And then I decided that was a waste of my time. Um, but this is not a new issue. Right? It's written into our Declaration of Independence that one of your unalienable rights is the pursuit of happiness. That you should be able to pursue what makes you happy. And again, you're all going to do it, and you've all already done it. Like, yeah, some of you, especially some of the kids, you're, you're probably here at church not because you wanted to be happy, but because your parents made you come. But you realize that if you didn't obey them, you're going to be less happy in the short term. But we make decisions because we think it will make us happy. But when we make happiness the end goal of life, the ultimate, it eludes us. This is the upside-down nature of life. To find happiness, you need to not make it your God. To find happiness, you need to not make it your God. In fact, you need to fear the Lord. So today we're going to unpack the pursuit of happiness. How do we live happy lives? I'm going to cover three points for us today. First, wisdom brings joy or happiness. Foolishness brings disappointment or unhappiness. Second, we will examine foolishness and her fruits, and then we will end by examining wisdom in her fruit. So first, wisdom brings joy or happiness. Foolishness brings disappointment. And we're going to see this encapsulated in a different proverb that wasn't read this morning. Proverbs 10.28. Solomon summarizes what he's doing at the end of chapter 1 and what he does in chapter 3. He writes these words. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Let me paraphrase this for you. The direction of the wise brings happiness, but the way of the life of the fool brings disappointment. The direction of the wise brings happiness, but the way of the fool brings disappointment. Ideas matter. They bring with them consequences. The trajectory of your life will bring certain fruit. You will notice in in both Proverbs 1 there and in chapter 3, there's this talking of fruit, of either rejecting wisdom or embracing it. This is really the whole message of the book of Proverbs. You reap what you sow. If you plant thistle uh, seeds, you will get thistles. You can't expect fruit from it. If you plant good seed, you will get good fruit. If you plant bad seed, you will get bad fruit. If you are reaping a harvest of bad fruit in your relationships and in your life, it's because you've planted bad seeds. That's what Proverbs is telling us. And the only thing that changes that, and for that we should be really grateful, is the grace of God. Because we've all planted bad seeds. Unless God pours grace on us and says, you're not actually going to get what you deserve, we all get thistles. But living according to Christianity is beneficial because Christianity is true to what is there. It is true to reality. To deny reality is not only asinine, but it is to be insane. We define crazy people by those who can't tell the difference between what is true and what is false, what is real and what is unreal. And Christianity aligns to reality. And so, we can say this day, as we should about Christianity, that man needs more than just wisdom. You need more than just a happy life. You need a Savior. 
You need forgiveness. You need restoration. But part of that restoration from God is wisdom. So here's my premise for today. Wisdom means fearing God, obeying His commands, and wisdom leads to a general happiness or joy in your life. Not a shallow triteness, not a perfect life free from suffering, but living in light of reality brings general blessings to your life. Ignoring reality brings curses to your life. It's not rocket science. Wisdom brings happiness and blessings. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. And now I'm going to make some stark application points for you from this. What produces happiness in life? What produces unhappiness in life? What belief system produces more depression than other belief systems? What belief system produces more happiness than other belief systems? What ideology correlates to mental illness and which one doesn't? You've been paying attention at all you, the, to what's going on today. You'll, you know where I'm going. I'm going to list some, some studies for you here today that really should have shook our entire society, but we just yawn at them. This is a study from the CDC. Say whatever you want about the CDC. It is not a bastion of conservative Christian thought. But they found a strong connection between political de- beliefs and depression in our young people. And these cut across uh, the sexes or the genders. That the most contributing factor to a person or a young person's happiness is their political beliefs. Among young people, young liberal women are far more likely than young conservative women to be depressed. Think about that. Liberal young men are far more likely to be depressed than conservative young men. And it even cuts across Cross that gender gap. Liberal young men are far more depressed than conservative young women. So it's not a sex thing, it's an ideology thing. But by far the most miserable people are liberal women. Now some of you will chuckle because you see it every day. They're miserable. The hope of the foolish perishes. Take another study, this by Pew Research Center. It found that uh, between 18 to 29-year-olds, 46% of liberals between the ages of 18 and 29 have been diagnosed with a mental illness, while only 20% of their counterparts who are conservatives that age. More than double. Two to one. Across different age breakups, the ratio holds up that liberals are about approximately two to three times more likely than their conservative peers to be diagnosed with a mental illness. Two to three times. I don't say this to mock liberals. Why am I bringing this up in the church service? Well, again, if you're paying attention at all, you know that liberals are by far, far less religious than conservatives and far less Christian than conservatives. It's no secret that liberalism as it is today is at war with reality and is utterly foolish. And yet, many of our young people in the church leave the church and conservative stuff to go to the liberal side because they think it will make them happy. It will literally make you insane. Like, let that sit in. Like, these are image bearers. These are people we should love. 
and their ideology is making them crazy and depressed and wanting to kill themselves. It's far more likely, is it, is it far more likely that leftism either produces or attracts the depressed and the mentally ill? I'm not sure. I think it's a little bit of both. But you can't deny reality without losing touch with it. Let me give you a, another study here, this one from the Wheatley Institute. It found, looking at the sexual practices of young people and then going into marriage, that those who are faithful only to their spouse, only have uh, sex with their spouse, are far more likely to flourish in marriage. Converses, spouses who have had multiple partners before marriage are much, much more likely to have lower stability in their marriage. To drive the point home even further, those who practice the biblical sexual ethic report the highest levels of sexual satisfa satisfaction in their marriages and in their life than those who don't. Like, this is the exact opposite of what our young people are told. That you will be satisfied if you go this way, if you do what cosmopolitan in Hollywood says, that you will be satisfied and this will be great for you. And all the sociological study says it's a lie. Now, don't get me wrong. Sociology is not the standard of truth. These studies could say the exact opposite, and people can manipulate studies and make them say stuff. Like, the Bible is the source of truth, but Proverbs is telling you that if you embrace foolishness, it's going to go poorly for you, and if you look out in the world, that's what's happening. One worldview produces life and happiness, the other produces death and depression. So I say to our, our young people here, there are lots of voices that are going to pull at you throughout your entire life to say this will make your life better. Not only do the studies say it's not going to work, not only does my experience looking out at my peers and people who have grown up from church, they're not getting better when they leave Christianity, they're getting worse. Their lives decay and rot, but the Bible says it. God says it. Don't go that way. The hope of the fool perishes. So then, Solomon describes in great detail in Proverbs 1, 19 through, uh, 30, or 29 through 33, uh, the fruit of rejecting wisdom and embracing folly. So listen to these words again. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despise my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way, and they shall have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Wisdom stands in the street, in the marketplace, and she says, listen to me, please. If you don't, it's not going to go very well for you. She invites people to turn to her. She offers them forgiveness if they would but repent but they ignore her. Foolishness doesn't work. It produces its own fruit. The proverb make it clear. God's word is not only true, but it works better in general than foolishness. Solomon lists the fruit of living life in folly, and it's not pretty. They hate knowledge. They refuse to fear the Lord. They are in essence saying, I know better than God knows. And then he lists some of these things. They're, they're not teachable. They would have none of my counsel and are despise all of my reproof. But there are really three fruit here that are, 
are listed. Three, first, they get an immediate filling of their folly. They have a fill of their own devices. If you go to Romans chapter 1, Paul says that God hands us over to our sin. When we say, hey, I really want that thing, God says, all right, here you go. Eat your fill. See how it's going to go. They get the immediate satisfaction, and that is part of their judgment, for it is fleeting, and it doesn't satisfy. Second, Solomon says, it destroys their life. It sows discord throughout their life. They are killed by their turning away from wisdom. Everything gets worse. Brothers and sisters, if you are here today and listening, wisdom is quite literally saying to you, hey, turn and live. Don't destroy your life. For you will be forced to eat the fruit of your foolishness. And third, Solomon says, folly brings death and ultimate destruction. The complacency of fools destroys them. The simple are killed for not listening. Folly is not only stupid, it not only doesn't work, but it will be judged by God. Thus, the fruit of foolishness is depression. It's broken marriages. It's a decaying culture. It's wayward Christian schools and Christian churches and Christian denominations. It is high crime rates. It is high addiction rates. It is selfish living where we treat image bearers as our items to be consumed and then to be tossed aside when they don't meet our needs anymore. It is that gnawing angst and dread that you feel when you go back to the same source thinking it will satisfy this time, and it doesn't. And if we're honest, all of us have been there. It is death. It is eternal damnation. And so wisdom cries aloud, turn from it. In Christ, there is not only forgiveness for your folly, but there's hope for newness of life. Brothers and sisters, for whatever reason God has put you here this morning, it's not an accident. It's a divine appointment. And literally, you are bombarded every day with people saying, this will make you happy. You ever wonder why we're so depressed? Like we are told a million different ways to be happy do this, do this, do this, do this. It's all law, law, law. If you do this, do this, do this, you will be happy. And none of it works. wonder why we're so depressed. We're, we're sold happiness all the time and it doesn't work. And so my plead with you today is to turn and to live. Wisdom cries out to you from the marketplace. Don't harden your heart. Then we get a list of wisdom and her fruit in chapter 3. Proverbs 1 ends with, Whoever listens to me, that is, wisdom will dwell secure and be at ease without dread of disaster. The good fruit of a wise life is fleshed out then in chapter 3. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all of her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. This is the exact opposite. Like if you're looking at the end of chapter 1 and here in chapter 3, and you're like, huh, which kind of life would I like? 
not always this clear in life, which one of those paths is which, but here in Proverbs, it's pretty clear. Which one of these do you want? Chapter 3, obviously. And there are really five here, five fruits of wisdom, of the wise life, that will bring, uh, that wisdom will impact your life with. We're going to cover them rather quickly. The first is this, to live wisely is to be blessed. Now, this is not the hashtag blessed that a lot of people put online. Like, hey, I'm living the blessed life today. No, to be blessed in the biblical ideal is that you've been blessed by someone. This is to have God's favor in your life. This is for God to bless you. Solomon, when he became king, asked one thing from God. Not riches, not victory over his enemies, but wisdom. And God gave it to him. And if we were to ask the same, God, please give me wisdom and earnestly seek wisdom, we would be given it. You would be blessed by God. This means to have wisdom, God must give it to you. He is the fountain. He is the source of it all. This is why he's given you his word. To have wisdom is to be blessed. Second, wisdom, wisdom brings the fruit of understanding. To be a fool is to be, in essence, a doofus. You have no idea what's going on. Later on in the book, Solomon will literally say that if somebody does this, he's stupid. That's a word I tell my kids not to use. It's used in the Bible. If you do this, you are stupid. You're a doofus. But the wise man and the wise woman come to understand the world. They understand themselves. They understand others. They understand the, pre- the past, the present, and the future. I've met people in my life who have a deep well of wisdom. This doesn't mean they know everything or they get everything right, but these type of people, when they look at you, you feel like, like they're looking into your soul. Like they know what you're thinking, even when you don't say it. And that's because they have drunk deeply at the well of God's wisdom. We don't have prophets today in, in the Old Testament sense of the word. And yet there are wise men and wise women who can easily be mistaken for prophets because they seem to know what's going to happen before it happens. If you've ever read people like G.K. Chesterton, who predicted things that are going on today, like confusing men for women and women for men, he predicted this a century ago. How did he know that? Because he was wise. He was reading God's Word, and he was understanding the world through it. Or people like Francis Schaeffer, who predicted the things that are happening now 50 years ago. How is this possible? Because God-given wisdom gives you understanding to what is going on and what will happen next. Third, wisdom brings the fruit of treasure greater than wealth and riches. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Think about that with the quotes from Jim Carrey and Deion Sanders. They had everything you could want, and they said it didn't amount to anything, Solomon says, if you get wisdom, it's better than all of those things. It is the greatest treasure you can seek. Wisdom is the greatest treasure in this world. How many of us actually orientate our lives around pursuing and growing in wisdom? Like Solomon says, think think about these treasures that you could have. And how many people put all of their life into getting these treasures. Like, what if I were to tell you that you could get a treasure greater than anything Indiana Jones ever found? 
or anything that Nicolas Cage found in the National Treasure movies. Worth more than any of that. Greater than El Dorado or the lost city of Atlantis. You could have that treasure. Solomon says it's right here. It's wisdom. The greatest wealth you can possess is not things, but wisdom rooted in fearing the Lord and gaining understanding. And we often walk by wisdom and treat it like it's a pile of excrement, that it's worthless. And so we look in for happiness in all the wrong places. Fourth, wisdom brings the fruit of joy and peace. Solomon says those who possess wisdom are in the ways of pleasantness and her paths are all peace. This is an idyllic life. The older I get, the more I I long for peace and pleasantness. The more I long for a quiet life marked by harmony. And what I'm really longing for is a return to Eden. What I'm really longing for is Christ to come back and establish his kingdom on earth. I want peace on earth. I want goodwill towards men. But I'm stuck living in this age. And yet, the life of wisdom is marked by a peace from above, even in the midst of the insanity. Fifth, wisdom brings life. Foolishness brings death. Wisdom brings life. Verse 18, wisdom, she is a tree of life to those who lay a hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Like, there's this picture in my head here. It's just Solomon hugging a tree. And not in the tree hugger sense of the word. Like, he's grasping onto this tree of life. Now, you shouldn't miss the importance of that terminology. It becomes a tree of life. That is dripping with biblical imagery and meaning here. The tree of life in the Garden of Eden is what God kicked us out for. We ate of the wrong tree, but he said, I'm not going to let them hang around and eat from the tree of life. So get out. And we read in the book of Revelation that when Christ's kingdom comes, there will be trees of life that we will be able to feast from forever. Where's the tree of life in the interim? Wisdom. This is a tree of life for you to hold on to. Wisdom is the path of life, even life eternal. This is why Colossians 2.3 says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To know Jesus is to know wisdom. Reject wisdom is to reject Jesus. And He is the source of eternal life. Wisdom, therefore, is the path to life. How it is meant to be lived? An eternal life. Wisdom in Christ is the path to happiness. Note the difference there. Happiness isn't the goal. Christ is. Pursuing Christ produces happiness. There's a song um, Emily and I sing to our kids about the wise man building his house upon the rock and the foolish man builds his house upon the sand. I'm about to break out into the hand motions. When my daughter does it, it's absolutely adorable. It melts my heart. We sometimes overlook children's songs because we're like, oh, it's just, it's just a kid's song. But there's profound truth in that song. The song, as you probably know, is based on the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says this about how you should live your life. 
Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And rain fell and floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall, or the ruin, of it. Wisdom and folly in this passage are tied to obeying the words of Christ or not. I want you to note very clearly here that both the wise man and the foolish man went through a storm. Wisdom is no guarantee that life is going to be sunshine and rainbows. Both of them went through the storm. One obeyed him, and one did not. So this morning, my point to you is, if you want to pursue happiness, stop seeking it in itself and seek Christ and build your life upon His rock. His words. Christ and Scripture have given you words on how to work. How to relate to one another how to function in marriage, how to raise your kids, how to engage civically and politically, how to forgive one another, how to resolve conflicts, how to forbear, how to show grace. When you do these things, you are building your life upon the rock that is Christ. When you don't, you are building your life upon sand. Sadly, many in the church pay lip service to these things and then they go about building their life on the sand. If that describes the majority of your life, the ruin of your house will be great. I've seen it. I've seen lives ruined. I've seen houses torn apart. I've seen churches destroyed, denominations going astray. And the ruin of those houses is great. It is a terrible thing to see. But it's because we refuse to build upon the rock. And I want to say this morning, if that has been you up to this point in your life, it's not too late. Wisdom cries aloud in the street to you today. God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. His grace is sufficient and it is enough to not only forgive you, but to change your life from top to bottom. He has made a way through the blood of Christ to be forgiven and to be restored. And He gives His Spirit and His Word and His people to you so that you might rebuild your life upon the rock. God's grace is great enough. Pursue happiness by pursuing and building upon Christ and His Word. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You that You have spoken to us in Your Word. That You have not just given us vague things to do that we can't make sense of, but that there are real practical nuts and bolts to what you have asked of us. Lord, forgive our unbelief. Forgive us looking at folly and thinking it is the path to happiness or to life or to you. Forgive us and place us on the path of faithful obedience. Help us to build our lives our families, 
our church, our communities, our schools, our denominations upon the rock that is Christ in His Word. Lord, if You do not move, there is no hope for us. So we ask that You would. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.